Hello, and welcome to the Human Instrumentality Podcast, your guided deep dive into the seminal animated series, Neon Genesis Evangelion. I'm Ian Corey. And I'm Joseph Schaefer. In this episode, at long last, we're going to cover the final rebuild of Evangelion film, entitled 3.0 plus 1.0, Thrice Upon a Time. Before we begin summarizing the film, please note, this will be an abridged synopsis. The final rebuild film is very long and dense, and summarizing it with serious depth wouldn't be the most listener-friendly experience. At the same time, we're very happy with our conversation with special guest Emily Yoshida, a conversation that will take as much time as watching the movie would. We don't want to distract from that segment too much. So, if we missed a detail that you feel is important, we apologize in advance. Also, I took the liberty of trying to present the plot in a way that makes sense, which presented a challenge. So, if some information appears out of order, especially at the end, it was all to make this process a little easier for Ian and myself, and also for you. And of course, massive amounts of spoilers ahead, since this is the end. Human Instrumentality Podcast, Unit 20, launch! The film opens with the members of Ville in Paris hacking into Nerve's old European base. Their operation is interrupted by a swarm of drone Evangelions constructed by Fiyutsky as part of a prolonged military opposition to Ville. The bridge crew are defended by Mari in a repaired Evangelion Unit 8, who manages to dispatch the nerve forces with style and grace. The bridge crew complete their mission, restoring the apocalyptic red Paris to its pristine technicolor pre-impact state, and more importantly for them, gaining access to enough spare parts to repair Unit 2. We cut to the three Ava pilots, still wandering in the wasteland after 3.0, where they're picked up by a now-grown-up Kensuke. He moves the Ava pilots to Village 3, a rural refugee community supported by Vila's aid organization, Credit. They're met by a grown-up Toji Suzuhara, now a doctor who is happily married to class rep Hikari. Together, they have an infant child, and the happy couple welcomes Ray 3 into their home. Shinji ends up living with Kensuke, who lives on the outskirts of town and works as a repairman for the community. At Kensuke's home, he finds Asuka, buck naked, mysteriously wearing a DSS choker. The choker gives Shinji flashbacks to Kaoru's death and sends him into a near catatonic state of depression. Asuka chooses to live with Kensuke in a state of perpetual undress, biding her time playing video games and berating Shinji to just snap out of it, which of course fails. It fails so badly, in fact, that she winds up assaulting him, shoving food rations down his throat, envious that his body hasn't turned into an ageless, eternal, adolescent body like hers. On the other hand, Ray 3 adapts to Village 3 quite well, uh, going to work with some old ladies who work in the rice paddies, 
Uh, they teach her the value of hard work, how to take a hot bath, and eventually how to dress in something besides a plug suit. At the same time, Kensuke teaches Shinji about the importance of his maintenance work, as well as environmental conservation efforts. Village 3 only exists because of an L containment field maintained by Vile, which keeps the corruption caused by the near-third impact at bay. Eventually, Kensuke introduces Shinji to a research scientist, Ryoji Kaji II. This Kaji is the child of Misato and the original Kaji, who died between films, somehow sacrificing himself to avert the third impact. Meeting Misato and Kaji's son stirs something in Shinji. This tranquility is short-lived. Rei figures out the hard way that she can't exist without regular soaks in an LCL bath, and says goodbye to Shinji seconds before she liquefies into LCL right in front of him. Around the same time, Nerve Headquarters travels with the remains of Lilith's Black Moon to the South Pole, where Gendo plans to reactivate Unit 13 and instigate one more impact. Vila prepares to sortie against Gendo and retrieves Asuka with the Vunder. Shinji willingly goes with her to do his part, though Vila just lock him in an explosive room rather than letting him fight. Before they embark, Misato ejects Kaji's collection of seeds into deep space. Kaji's prime concern was preserving the Earth's biodiversity, and she wants to honor his wish to give the species besides humans a second chance. Then, the Wunder attacks Nerve HQ, with the ship countered by Fuyutsuki, piloting three other airships, including a stealth ship that manages to pin the Wunder down. Mari and Asuka make their play to kill Unit 13 before it can reactivate, fighting through a swarm of drone evangelions piloted by ray clones. Inside Nerve HQ, Asuka reaches Unit 13, but finds her Unit 2 unwilling to deal a killing blow. So, Asuka removes her eye patch and converts herself into an angel using Bardiel's power remaining in her body, and uses that power to neutralize Unit 2's AT field. Predictably, uh, this is all part of Gendo's plan. He reveals that Asuka is a clone, the same as Rey was, created to enact his final gambit. Unit 13 absorbs Unit 2, thus beginning the heretofore unseen final impact ritual. The Vunder, meanwhile, is usurped by another Nerve Eva. Gendo appears aboard the ship to monologue at Masato. Ritsko shoots the bastard. But even with a hole in his head, Gendo lives. He has used the key of Nebuchadnezzar, remember that, to convert himself into an angel, letting him sink with Unit 13. The final impact ritual converts the remains of Lilith's Black Moon into a pair of giant spears, which penetrate an quote-unquote anti-universe, where Gendo can assume the power of God. Mari, though manages to sneak aboard Fuyutsuki's ship and confront him, where he refers to her as Mary Iscariot and agrees to let the Vunder off the hook. 
Shinji escapes his pen and asks Masato to let him pilot Unit 1 into the anti-universe and stop his father. She's about to agree when Sakura protests, calling out Shinji's record of bad behavior. Uh, And to stop him, Sakura tries to shoot Shinji with a dissolving bullet, but Misato takes the hit for him and tells him at last for a final time to get in the robot, which he can, because it turns out his sink rate was not zero, but the closest value to zero. Infinite. Mari absorbs Nerve's final Evangelions in order to supercharge Unit 8 and help Shinji enter the anti-universe. She asks him to try his best to rescue Asuka, who's still inside Unit 13. Her plan, it turns out, is to dive in and rescue Shinji after he's defeated Gendo. Shinji and Gendo in the anti-universe meet at the mysterious Golgotha object, an intersection between the worlds where Gendo can finish instrumentality. Shinji and Gendo fight with their Evangelions, each armed with one of the spears of Longinus and Cassius, and find themselves evenly matched while they warp through a subjective realm that takes the form of Tokyo 3, Masato's apartment, and eventually a film set. Meanwhile, aboard the Wunder, Team Villa realizes that the spears of Longinus and Cassius are evenly matched. There's no way for Shinji to defeat Gendo. He needs a third spear. They begin evacuating the Wunder and working to convert the ship into a final spear for Shinji to use. In the anti-universe, Shinji and Gendo put their arms aside and, at last, talk about their feelings. There, Gendo shows Shinji a Black Lilith, Evangelion Imaginary, a being which can turn fantasy into reality. Evangelion Imaginary takes the form of another giant ray and kicks the fourth impact, or additional impact, into high gear. Shinji and Gendo take their turns aboard the Train of Thought, where finally much of Gendo's childhood is revealed. He was a music lover and antisocial bookworm, who is only drawn out of his shell by Yui. And he wishes only to return to a world where she exists, even if it means killing the world, demolishing reality, and becoming God to do so. In the end, he's forced to admit that his son is the closest thing to Yui he really has left. And though he didn't realize it, he's been afraid of Shinji this entire time. Shinji hands him the cassette player to console him and in doing so becomes the center of instrumentality instead of Gendo. Outside, Masato sacrifices herself to ram the Wunder into the anti-universe's boundary, transforming it into the all-new Spear of Gaius. Back in the train of thought, Shinji makes his peace with Asuka, Kaji, Rei, and also Kaoru, who reveals that the events of Evangelion have been existing in a perpetual closed loop, which can be broken only by truly remaking the universe, a, quote, neon genesis, unquote, as promised in the title. 
Gendo and Yui are pierced by the Spear of Gaius, absorbing all of the incomplete Evangelions and thus returning those life forms purified by the various impacts into their original forms, presumably to restart life on Earth with the help of Kaji's seed banks. Shinji, though, is left in the realm of infinite subjectivity until Mari shows up in Unit 8 to rescue him. Grown-up Mari and Shinji find themselves dressed in business clothes at a train station, watching Rei and Kaoru depart on a train. Hand in hand, they walk out into the new universe, one without Evangelions, which turns from animation into live video. Presumably, it is our world, one where Evangelion is fantasy and linear time is a reality. We're back, Human Instrumentality Podcast, for the final rebuild movie. Uh, feels wild to be here. And joining us, our final guest for this sequence, uh, filmmaker and writer, former girl in hoodie, former night caller, and she who declared that it is cool to like anime, <laughs> Emily Yoshida, everyone. Hey, it's great to be here. A real honor to close out the rebuild here i feel uh yes both honored and very ill prepared but we'll see how it goes <laughs> who's ever prepared for this series i don't know not me but yeah i'm not sure that anyone who works on it was prepared no at all no <laughs> um yeah i'd like i i'm interested in the post-mortem on how much this particular film destroyed everybody's lives um because you always end up hearing that about all of them at some point or another so um yeah you can't i can't imagine that like okay we're gonna make the first two movies pretty fast and then wait and then wait almost a decade was part of the original pitch for this series of films but we've we've made it to the end they somehow did it the you pulled it off i <laughs> It's like I, you know, it's one of those, th I mean, it, it had been so long that it's not like I was sitting here thinking about it and waiting for it, but like once it got announced and then, you know, you still have to kind of, like you have to plug back into your, your, your fandom mode. And, but then like once I was watching it, there, there were some moments where I'm like, holy shit, he fucking did it. Like, uh, <laughs> I can't believe it. And it's like very emotional. I mean, you're, you're appreciating it emotionally on a, on multiple levels. So, you know, despite some, <laughs> some insanity in this movie, which I'm sure we'll get into, I, I just, you know, I, I, I loved it on that level and, and was overwhelmed emotionally by it so yeah i i feel mostly the same but before we get into it can i can i tell a little story about you emily yes be because don't be nervous this is a good this is a good story um this is mostly as a means of introduction for our listeners who like aren't aware of your work and also probably aren't aware of like the origins of of our podcast so I first became aware of your work when you were writing for Grantland. Mm -hmm. And I, like many people, I think I, I read the Why Sailor Moon Fucking Rocks article. <laughs> um, I like that you added a fucking in there, but I think it I can't remember what it was called, but it was something pretentious. But yeah. <laughs> but I I'll know what you're talking in the about. Show notes. Yeah. I was like a legal admin 
at like a shitty law office at that actually like good at what they do but like shitty as a job shitty for my self-esteem law office but i do remember like kind of like standing up and going woo in my chair after (laughs) reading that article and then having one of the attorneys being like joseph sit down Uh. um so and then like a while after that uh ian and i had been friends and co-workers and then I don't know if I brought that article up to him or he brought that article up to me, but he said, you should listen to Yoshida's podcast. It's cool to like anime. And I can't speak for Ian, but I think he feels the same way. I was just like blown away. I binged every episode I could like in a marathon kitchen cleaning session. And my housemates at the time were like, is this, what are you doing this for? I'm like, because she's right. It is cool to like anime. <laughs> it's coming back. And it has. It was prophetic. Um, um, yeah. No, I, I, it is a big regret of mine that I didn't, I wasn't able to continue that one. Uh, that podcast I start, I mean that, so that podcast I started because of Ava, because I started rewatching Ava on election night in 2016 because I was so anxious and I was like what can I watch that will be like my personal LCL that I can just like marinate in for a while so I was watching that like when they called it for Trump (laughs) Um, I think I was actually watching the first rebuild movie I think because I was like gonna try doing it by starting with that and then you know watching episode seven onward after that so yeah, I was watching the first rebuild while, uh, what, you know, when when the fate of our country was decided, uh, and then I just continued my rewatch after that because I was unemployed and um, and then I was just like, you know what? I feel like I mean, this happens whenever I go back and revisit, especially a show that I have like a long relationship with and that I've thought about a lot. Is that I mean, it's like this for a lot of things, but I think particularly with anime, it's hard to find writing that is satisfying to me on not an anime fan level, but like on a critical level. And you end up having to actually, I mean, the the most, there are some exceptions and like I'll, I'll shout out, like I think, um, I don't know if you know the writer Gretchen Felker-Martin, she's written some great stuff about uh, Ava particularly and a lot of anime, but like those people are kind of few and far between, I find. And so... I end up like looking at academic journals and stuff and like really going deep. And I was like, I, there needs to be something accessible to talk about anime in the same breath that you talk about all other film and television and not treat it as this isolated genre, even though for many reasons it is. And, you know, it's, it's kind of in its own world in many ways, but I wanted to try to bridge that a little bit. And I wish I was still able to do maybe someday i'll bring it back because it was really fun while i was doing it It was just a shit ton of work that's all but yeah you Um. don't say (laughs) (laughs) but i had some guests that you've had on on it i had eric thurm on i had justin charity on charity man i yeah i he's he's the best he's so fun to talk to about this stuff so yeah yeah i mean i I think that that's very much why we resonated with that podcast and with the work that you know, you and the other guests that you mentioned have, have done is that that gap is something that needed to be filled. And I hope that like, you know, this podcast and other stuff like it has helped sort of carry that torch forward. So it feels great to yeah. have you on the podcast and have this sort of like full circle 
yeah moment for us you know yeah well, cool well I'm happy to be here I'm I'm always kind of tickled when somebody is into that pod because it was such a brief moment in time but I really did you know I, I something I believed in so yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned that you've had a, a pretty long fandom for Evangelion were you into it as a kid like how did you first get into it um I I watched a bit of it in high school I had some friends who were super super into it but you know I think we're probably around the same age in the dark ages it was quite hard to watch a lot of anime so I think I didn't start I don't think I watched it all the way through until college maybe yeah and then I didn't get to the rebuilds until around the time three came out Mm -hmm. like and then by that point I don't remember if Crunchyroll existed or like some of the streamers. I, did, was it streaming on anything or were the rebuilds streaming on anything at some point? I know the series wasn't obviously, but um, I can't remember. I think it was all pretty much just like piracy back yeah. then. Yeah, so, and that's probably what I did. Mm-hmm. I was probably just on like, you know, Put Locker or whatever. Um, right. <laughs> flying to England, as you would say. Yes, flying yeah. to England, <laughs> flying to Japan. Um, yeah, so, you know, you, you find... You, love finds a way uh and so but yeah I it is one of those series that I think I I mean that's a great example of what that podcast was about because I think that this show and this you know I guess you call it a franchise at this point like even though I hate that word gets into like has so much kind of spiritual overlap with a lot of I mean, I was listening to an episode where you guys were talking about it in comparison with Twin Peaks, which I had just joked to my friend who I'm I'm staying with here. I was like, oh, we should watch uh, Evangelion because she'd never watched it before. And I had been with like we had rewatched Twin Peaks The Return last year together Mm -hmm. and had, you know, a full experience. (laughs) And I was like, it's just like Twin Peaks. And then I was like, wait a second. It is just like Twin Peaks. You know? <laughs> I just feel like it's so. I mean, obviously, Anno is just you know also an omnivore culturally, so I think that comes through in in this series and the films and everything. So, yeah, the the Twin Peaks the Return vibes are very very strong in this one in particular for me. Yeah. Um, the, the we'll get to the ending when we get to the ending, but just putting a pin in that now and also just to say that like we're going to talk about the whole movie i know that like there's a good chance that considering how soon uh this podcast is likely to come out since the movie dropped that probably not everyone has seen it yet but just like save this podcast in your you know your downloads folder until you've watched it because we're going to spoil the whole thing yeah and i will say also like i just watched this yesterday like i do not stand by like if you watch this two years from now just like trust I've probably come to a a whole new set of conclusions about it like it's so fresh right now this is very first impressions for me so Mm -hmm. I mean as it is for you guys too it literally has been out for three days now so so before getting into three plus one or thrice upon a time or whatever we're going to refer to this movie (laughs) as um What's your relationship like with the other rebuild films? Like, how do you feel about those? I haven't um, watched them. I think I've probably only, well, I did this rewatch this last time. So, I mean, I, I, it's interesting. I think you guys really like three, right? I need to like yes. build more of an appreciation of, of three. Cause I think that's the, 
toughest one for me. And maybe I think that's like more the standard fan opinion as far as I understand. Not that I care about such things, but I'm always like, I feel like at odds with the general Ava fan community on a lot of things, but I think I definitely like two of the best of them. But I don't know. I mean, now I want to actually go back and rewatch them, even though I just watched it this last week and, um, <laughs> and see if it hits any different. Cause I think that, I mean, obviously that's where it starts to depart the most from the series. So, and, and it really becomes its own story. So I think that a lot of the stuff that feels to me frustrating or punishing <laughs> in three might feel a little more cohesive, like, you know, coming right before um, three plus one, whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Who the fuck knows? I mean, I think it's fair to say that, you know, so off mic, we were talking a little bit about how one of the big appeals of this series is that it has this overlap with various other esoteric interests that maybe some other anime doesn't have or, or just like quote unquote pop culture, so to speak. I hate that word too. <laughs> uh, d- might not have. And, you know, I've, you know, I've talked on this show multiple times about how we're both uh, among other things, extreme heavy metal enthusiasts. And uh, like one of the aspects of that is just like, not necessarily in a kinky way, uh, just desire to be punished. Like (laughs) that's kind of what I like to an extent about three. It does, it does have that sort of, I don't know, listening to morbid angel wall of drum hits feeling to me like, yeah, just distort my brain until it's goop. That's what I'm here (laughs) for to some extent. See, I feel that way about 25 and 26. Like, that's my heavy metal. Mm. And Mm -hmm. I love that ending. Uh, I prefer it to End of Evangelion. Is that a crazy hot take? I don't know. I I find the end of... I agree. Yeah. I mean, cool. We're all all friends here. This is a safe space. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But, um, yeah, I... I don't mind it going full metaphysical and abstract. Like, I think that a lot of the stuff that was the most affecting to me in 3 plus 1 was stuff that felt like it was verging on the abstract. And that actually was a lot of this. Like, ironically, a lot of the stuff that felt the most technically ambitious and crazy in this film was the stuff that elicited the same feelings in me that 25 and 26 do, where it feels borderline abstract where you kind of feel like all of the genre stuff all of the you know complicated battle techniques and stuff are kind of melting away and we're just sort of getting down to the essence of these characters so yeah I like I I like a good grind as well (laughs) I just think I think that you know I think that there like I would I don't want to call it sadistic, but there is a there was a part of three like that even this last rewatch I was just like, God damn, this is such a bum-. like I, it's a bummer of a show in general. But that one felt like it was really twisting the knife or really like I don't know, almost yeah, like self aware of how much it how how much it was putting everybody through. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting because I I feel like. I have the same sort of feeling about this movie justifying a lot of the more caustic and acidic 
choices made in the other rebuilds, Mm -hmm. but about two instead of three, because Mm. I feel like two and three are an interesting contrast because three is like going out of its way to make things unpleasant and slow and grindy for the fans that kind of want the more high action and romance and like fun high school stuff from the first two rebuilds. Whereas I feel like two, and we get into this in, in our conversation about that movie is almost like punishing by over agreeing, you know? <laughs> yes. Like, you know, Mari in particular and in a lot of the more extra CGI yeah. fight scenes. Well, that's and the, 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 the lowest point of two for sure is the effects, but yeah. Um, and yet like to your point i think that the way that this movie has like really really leaned in on a lot of the way that it uses that cgi especially in the finale and the way that it uses mari especially in the finale really does kind of justify the choices made into that like really pissed me off (laughs) at the time of recording when we did the uh the rebuild 2 episode Mm, no i'm still mad (laughs) <laughs> sorry <laughs> i need to it's go okay. back and listen your, to your guys's episode on two because yeah I, <laughs> I don't know i just find it i well i don't know i might have a completely different opinion about now, now that i've seen the ending i just think it's something that was coming out of the story i already knew i found it like pleasantly you know alternate university in a way that i found thought provoking but i don't know i maybe i will think it's stupid now (laughs) compared to the total galaxy brain meltdown that we get to at the end of this one so Mm -hmm. yeah said galaxy brain by the way looks like a computer generated beach ball with googly eyes uh (laughs) doubling down on the cg was certainly like a decision capital a capital d uh but i don't i don't know are you talking about the ray head the, the Ray head is one of probably 20 moments in this movie where I like got up from my sofa and screamed, what the fuck? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was alarming for sure. It more just gave me like chills. It kind of made me slightly nauseous, but I may, I, I'm sure that's the intent. So yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's definitely upsetting and in more ways than one. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, it's also paired with that like really weird shot of like the marching headless Avas. Yeah. That looks like some, what do they call those like old VHSs from the 90s that's like computer animation like test? Oh. God, I can never remember the name of those things. Like pre Pixar, like that super rudimentary like model stuff or, yeah. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. It'd be like these like sort of mixtapes of different people just like making like cool 3D art basically. And this felt a lot like that, just like the spirals of spinning CG models through the sky and whatnot. It's like a bit, uh, are, are we sure this is how we want this to go out? Yeah. It's kind of the feeling that I had, but. Yeah, that was, I, that was a really weird moment tonally. I will say that in the last hour or so, not to get ahead of ourselves, but I think that there was a lot of stuff where I wasn't sure how to feel and not in a in a way that I feel like it got a little garbled, not in a way where it's like pleasantly 
I don't know. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Pleasantly confusing. <laughs> Pleasant, <laughs> pleasantly unsatisfying, I should say. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing. That's the thing. I'm, like, and the same thing I'm talking about, like, with three. Like, there's there's pleasantly unsatisfying, and then there's unpleasantly unsatisfying for me. And a lot of Ava is pleasantly unsatisfying to me. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that, I think, fell more on the wait, what are we doing here? And then, well, uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves. I have um, one major complaint with the end end, but we'll get there. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like there's two ways that we could go about this. We could either try, or a few different ways. We could try and do this chronologically. We could go with what is the pleasantly unsatisfying versus the unpleasantly unsatisfying about the movie, or we could go character by character. Do, we, do y'all have any preference about how we want to dive into this thing? Any place that you want to start? I wouldn't mind chronologically just because there's, it's, well, I don't know. It's so dense. This movie is how long? Three hours and some? It's practically, yeah. <laughs> Over two and a half hours Jesus. long. Yeah. It's almost longer than the first two rebuilds put together. Yeah, yeah. It's madness. And, yeah. and also it does like feel, this is also my problem with two, but it feels like two movies kind of like stitched together at the waist. Sure. And we've all been talking about the end, but I I would like to talk about the first half. So I agree with the chronological approach in part because I really like the first half in a way I was not expecting. Yeah. So let's go there, I think. Right. So we get this. This opening sequence in Paris, which I was also released like separately prior to the movie coming out in America um, that I didn't watch at the time, but I'm sure some people have, which is sort of feels like, you know, another both of the last two rebuild movies have opened with something similar. You know, it opens with like Mari singing to herself, very weird, disorienting fight against a CG enemy that we've never seen before in a location that we've never been in before. And then the movie starts. Mm-hmm. So it, it it almost and there's something about like the way that that opening credits sequence works too with like the the music felt very James Bondish to me that I feel like these movies have really leaned into that sort of like typical James Bond opening of like unrelated action sequence than yes. the movie yeah just to kind of get like yeah dunk you in the in the feeling of what it feels like to watch an Ava movie yeah mm-hmm. um, yeah which I don't like I will say right now. I don't really remember much about that fight other than that it was in Paris <laughs> with yeah. Mari. Um, and I remember, yeah, kind of again doing the thing where it's like her, um, what's it called? I don't know enough about guns. Uh, her, the thing with all the bullets in it, the magazine, not the magazine. But right, it's like she's that, got like the two Gatling guns. Yeah, the Gatling and, and like the whole like plank of it just f- like falling on cars and stuff. Like, and, mm-hmm. yeah, destroying destroying Paris, um, which is nice. Like Tokyo needed a break, so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I loved Paris. the... Yeah, the the Eiffel Tower going down, of course, obligatory. That was had to do so it. fun. I laughed out loud at that. Uh, <laughs> was, like, what did what did she say with the Eiffel Tower? Uh, excuse him, excuse him, while Eiffel or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of like I I it, my, the troll in me loves Mari. I have to say, <laughs> there's something about her that's so hilarious and i was i was i was happy to 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 start the beginning of the film with her i don't know 
Yeah, she gets a few, like, charming action beats. I love, like, the reverse steering wheel thing that she does at one point when, like, spinning around. There's, like, a lot of really nice filmic touches that, like, you know, that first sequence with her in Rebuild 2, I I don't really enjoy as an action sequence. But the two since I've really loved yeah. as openings. A lot of fun. Yeah. And we also get some, like, good bridge crew stuff in that opening sequence that pays off later of, like, Maya running the team and... The sort of like I had it in my notes. I actually haven't played Death Stranding, but I'm just going to say that this feels like Death Stranding to me of like seeing the note left uh, by the previous team and like building off of the older versions of Nerve and stuff like Mm -hmm. that to rebuild the world. I really did sort of there's a lot of like cool textural stuff going on in this opening that maybe isn't that plot important, but you're right. It does kind of put you back into the world of Evangelion in a cool way. The last couple of film three and this one, at least the first half of, of this one, have really had heavy Battlestar Galactic Battlestar Galactica vibes to me. Um yeah. especially mm-hmm. with the time jump at the beginning of, of three, like you kind of and that kind of cyclical like you get the feeling that we're in we're caught in a cycle like all of this has happened before, all this will happen again, like and that that note just feels like yeah, like we're kicking off a kind of karmic cycle here with everybody which is a cool Mm. it feels like we're kind of going down the rabbit hole in a way Uh, i was just gonna say uh, superficial and boneheaded the only thing i remember about the opening sequence (laughs) besides everything being on high tension wires is that there's like why are the enemy evangelians like a chorus line they're all like (laughs) high kicking as they approach carrying the cannon. And I'm like, this seems like something someone else would put at the very end of their movie. This is your first thing. It's really weird. Yeah. Um, I don't really understand the benefit of all, like, the, the army of Ava's generally. It feels, like, inefficient. But I don't know. I guess it looks cool. <laughs> there is a sense, like, across these last two movies of this, like, perpetual arms race between Villa and Nerve that just has gotten completely it's out of so hand nutty. by this point. <laughs> I, you have to laugh at certain points. And it's just, like, I don't even understand what the Vunder is anymore at this point. Like, it could be the size of a galaxy for all I know. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's so much stuff in that thing. <laughs> There's a bunch of seeds in it. Like, I don't know. Whatever they need to be in it is in yep. it. On, like, every every Ava can pop up in there if we want. Um, <laughs> well, the good thing is like even like right after that really jarring kind of ridiculous opening fight scene, the movie kind of gets really grounded really fast. And I think that from what I can tell, I've been like snooping, snooping around on Rate Your Music and Letterboxd and the internet generally just to see what people are thinking about this movie. And it seems like that first half is pretty much universally what everyone likes about this movie. And uh, for, for very good reason, I think. I don't know. What, what did y'all think about The Village 3 sequence? The Village. Yeah. No, that uh, was really moving to me and, and for a lot of reasons but I think like it really in a in a quiet way and in a way that still like manages to do a lot of world building and establishment like still kind of throws into harsh contrast how fucked up this entire thing has been for these children (laughs) Mm -hmm. um I think there's just something so ineffably sad about 
Shinji, who still has the body of a 14-year-old, like, coming face-to-face with Toji, who is, like, the best man in the world now. <laughs> like Justice for Toji! Like, <laughs> I so mean, great. I would say he's the happiest man, except he lives in a bombed-out post-apocalyptic village. But, like, he has his priorities straight. He's a doctor. Everybody loves and respects him. Like, I don't know. I, but then, you know... By contrast, you have Shinji, who's just like a shell of a person who's been through all this trauma and who can't even grow up now, Mm -hmm. you know, in his care. It's just it's really in a weird way. This is maybe like too personal or something, but it does make me think about like when I see friends who have had kids now and I'm this freak who's just decided to like. (laughs) like be in the entertainment industry and like um like chase my childhood dreams and completely like regress in some ways and Mm -hmm. and it's like and then you see your friends who are like on a completely different track and it's like god damn like am i am i the crazy one here but yeah um i feel that completely yeah 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 (laughs) i think that's absolutely what that metaphor of the kids not being able to grow up is like it's there it's there for that to evoke that kind of feeling in the older Ava fans, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, even just being an anime fan, it's like, wait, mm. <laughs> am I stuck in permanent regression here? I like to think that I'm not as far as my anime <laughs> fandom is. But as far as my professional ambitions, a hundred percent. So <laughs> at at the same time though, it, it there is Specifically, like, there's something about Dr. Toji, I I think. And in a weird way, I think that's the fulfillment of the eternal Evangelion promise of more fan service next time. There won't be more a next time, they say. So here's the ultimate fan service. And it turns out that's not just a bunch of butts, although that's there, too. It's like, here's someone you like who is making the best of his life in a very like wholesome committed relationship with a sweet person. Yeah. And that was the first time of like six times in this movie I cried. So don't, don't, don't feel like you're being too personal. I definitely no. like brought on the waterworks. Oh, I was sobbing in that part. And, and I, I started to say this before we started recording, but I was, I started watching this on a plane stupidly. Cause I, I actually like watching movies on planes. I think it's like a very, nice sort of undistracted place to watch something and then I realized that I was just going to be waterworks the entire time and I couldn't do that to the person sitting next to me so I had to stop but um yeah this part really got me for sure yeah seeing Hikari and Toji together with a kid just like Toji being a dad, I was not ready for how emotional that was going to make me. Like, I, it's sort of like a running thing on this podcast about how much I like Toji as a character. Yeah. So this whole thing has just been like. Well, I mean, there's part of it too. It's not just that we like Toji. It's that we literally have been living with these characters for decades now. It is like a childhood friend in a way, mm-hmm. and you do have a long relationship with him in a way. Um, depending on how many times you've rewatched this series. Um, so it is, I mean, it's, it's sure it's fan service, but it's 
earned just by time, just by how long this shit has taken. You know, I mean, we were talking about Twin Peaks, too. I think there's a lot of that. Like, there's just the pure thing of seeing those actors having aged, having, you know, become different people in a way, but still in this familiar mm-hmm. universe that is um, really moving just on its own. There's also so. Kensuke, and this is like the only time yeah. I've ever been excited to see Kensuke in my life yeah. is when he shows up in this movie. They're both What's hot wrong? too. Can I just say, like, they have like it's really true. grew up into snacks. It's great. Um, <laughs> proud of both of them. What is with Kensuke's glow up? Because Toji... Toji, like, he aging was, well yes, makes sense. Yeah. But, like, Kensuke, it's like, I kind of thought you would be, like, a stringy fucking loser. No. But this whole, like, I am the man of the people. Yes. Kensuke with his wrench trying to save the environment one stick at a time really works for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I can see why Asuka would want to spend all of her fucking time with him. Although, I... I don't know what's going on with that. <laughs> what is... That is forever my problem with the rebuilds. And my biggest issue, probably, with this film is what is going on with Asuka in Village 3. Always naked. Always playing a video game. A shitty-looking video game. Um... <laughs> Where did the DSS Joker come from? And and also, like, her big, like, emotional moment in the story is, like, jumping on Shinji and shoving rations down his throat like he's an exotic parrot. Like, one of the most complexly animated sequences, too. Like, when that starts happening, yeah. you're like, holy shit. Like, this feels as... Like, Im- like immersive and complicated and dynamic as any of the battle sequences, and it's just her trying to shove some food into his mouth. I'm like, it's intense. It it was, uh, yeah. I don't. I mean, you guys can probably track better like this version of Oscar and what she's going through. I mean, I. I mostly was able to kind of follow the thread of her spoilers becoming an angel like that once that started happening that made sense to me at least on like an ecstatic level (laughs) right um but I still yeah I mean her whatever she's going through in the village I don't yeah it kind of feels like she's mostly there to snap Shinji out of something which is often her role anyway so um but yeah the constant yeah, the constant nudity, uh, which all the real rebuilds ratchet up to. I mean, let's be mm-hmm. honest. It's it's kind of like what's what is. I'd like to be able to say I know what that's about, or that there's a narrative purpose for it, but I don't think that there is. I I will do my best to try and defend it, even though I agree with you. Uh, this seems to be my sad role in these rebuild podcasts: is trying to defend <laughs> to the cheesecake. The- <laughs> Um, so the things that we learn about Asuka in this movie is that she's a clone. Um, so like Ray, she has this kind of like lack of ego or these like programmed flaws in her character. And we'll get to that sequence. I don't, I don't particularly care for that scene. Um, and then we also learn that after the Bardrail fight from rebuild two, she's basically fused with that angel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and has like the limiter in her 
eye patch uh, that we see in Rebuild 3, she's like able to tap into some of it to go into beast mode. And it's basically like she can go all the way with it like the way that she does in the final part of this movie. So there's something about the fact that she's part angel that prevents her from going down into the village itself. She mm. like refers to the people it's as Lilith, Lilith the yeah. way that like Kaoru does. Yeah. So uh, the best I can do is that like her nudity and her general dis, uh, disinterest in being human is because she's now accepted that she's not human at all. But I, I don't really know if that, stands up to scrutiny i mean there is a part of it that's kind of reminiscent of her breakdown in the series you know mm-hmm. where she stops eating and all of that but yeah so there's a kind of like despondency and sort of like giving up on her humanity that i think is parallel to that and feels like you know if we're to overlay these timelines like that's probably happening at the same time i but it is confu- like if you're comparing it to kawaru then like He's not like that's not a part of how he, you know, I guess expresses his angelhood. It's not it's not a despondency on about his human form. And at any like he actually seems to quite enjoy his human form, <laughs> as does Shinji. Um, but I, I, I don't know. It it didn't like I don't know why she would be if she was an angel. Why she would be so unhappy about. It. Seems like a good gig. I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it, but let's be honest. Like the big, the sticking point is is the nudity. Yes. Right. Because like you you might have a different read on Kaworu if you spent half of the last movie dick out. Right. Right. He. You but, get a little bit of of nudity from him, but of course not not nearly as much. No. You, no dick you, out you for sure. <laughs> And I, I wish that I had a, a deeper, more intellectual reaction to any of these scenes than who fucking. Um, but like that she's constantly nude around Kensuke and he nonchalantly throws the towel on her. And in the dub, she calls him Ken Ken. It like it feels it lends like a weird intimacy to them that like isn't earned by the backstory certainly not in the rebuilds where like i think she and kensuke have like two shots together no they have zero relationship yeah Mm -hmm. so it it just comes out of it comes out of nowhere i I don't like the idea of something like begging my dumb facile questions but well there you go if we're to think about it allegorically which is usually how i end up thinking about this entire franchise anyway it's like i still don't maybe we can think through it right here and figure it out (laughs) would that be a satisfied exercise i mean like what is like what is kensuke represent in this series like the the, he's you know bearing witness to everything like he's he's i mean there you go kensuke has his camera he's looking at everything who wants to be looked at who wants to be appreciated more than asuka like there is a Mm, little bit of mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um you know full circle there but i don't and then the moment where he's like has the camera on her and she's you know say don't look at me and then she kind of relents in a way that yeah i don't know maybe that's it and i, I might have pulled that out of my ass who knows 
Well, the, the movie definitely wants us to to associate those two even after that, because at the very end of the movie, her <laughs> escape pod does end up back there. Yeah. At Kensuke's survivalist ranch, which I love that Toji just straight up calls Kensuke a survivalist. It's like, yeah, such great ribbing from those two. I would watch so much of just like adult Kensuke and Toji taking care of this village as adults. Like, it's so yeah. cool. I love it. The weird socialist utopia of Village Three and credit. Yeah. Credit. So <laughs> credit with a K. <laughs> your, your use of utopia there, I think, is maybe slightly misaimed. <laughs> like life in Village Three does seem kind of miserable to me. Although, like it, it, it seems like the kind of apocalypse Hayao Miyazaki would enjoy. Right. <laughs> Here, you're consigned the rest of your life to a mountainous forest where, like, the highest thing to aspire to is back-breaking agricultural work. Yeah, and putting you back in touch (laughs) with the land. I mean, it's like, it's it's utopian by force, right? Like, because you can't do anything Mm -hmm. else. And I want to revisit this when we get to the end and the final moments of this film which i have a little like i have questions about at the very least but i mean i don't think that utopian is wrong necessarily i think that for whatever like i don't know it's hard not to be thinking about our own fucking planet while watching like it's a very auspicious week for this film to come out like when we basically have this code red for humanity on our minds and thinking about what kind of future we're leaving for the children of the world and stuff like that and what the what society might actually look like in even 14 years although probably a a little bit longer Mm -hmm. than that but like and you know (laughs) I mean my lefty ass over here is just like we will need credit (laughs) like that's gonna (laughs) <laughs> uh, we better get that going right now but um but yeah I, I mean just thinking about what kind of radical changes would need to happen in order to I mean even just if we do end up destroying the world like what kind of you know radical changes in our lifestyles will be necessary to just like continue whatever humanity is left so, sorry to get dark here but, <laughs> but this no, no, does no, put you in mind no, no, no. it's all in the movie yeah yeah Look, as we're recording this, I'm in Seattle, Washington, and this wildfire smoke has now finally settled into the Puget Sound. And there's, as I woke up this morning, coughing up like chunks of mucus. Sorry, I know you just met me, but like this is where we're at, and I don't hold back, so that's where we're talking Look, about. Look, I live in LA usually. I know from chunks of mucus, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, then maybe you agree with me. There's, at this point, especially this time of year, very little I'd like more than for Comrade Misato to airdrop in a force field to keep this goddamn smoke out my lungs. Right? Like, make it happen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that because even though there is like a back to the land aesthetic happening in Village 3, there's also a sort of futurist thing going on too. It's this really cool combo of like, Villa is trying to create new technology to save, to preserve humanity. And we're also working uh, like boots on the ground to preserve the environment. Like these two things can happen simultaneously. It doesn't have to be this sort of like regressive cottage core version of the, you know, paradise that mankind finds after the end of the world. There is still like 
some degree of like we can continue to push forward and innovate and come up with new ways to live that I, I appreciate as a, you know, a particular tone to take for this ending sequence. Yeah. And it can be like because of like how the terms that Kaji puts it into is, you know, especially with his like exporting of all this natural life and stuff like it, it can be successful on its own terms it doesn't need to be like the whole world springs back to life as long as there is like this pocket of humanity that's a success like i don't know that that felt really um meaningful and thought provoking mm-hmm. <laughs> in yeah. the context of our apocalypse <laughs> Yeah. It's also showing rather than telling like Yui's big line from the end of End of Evangelion where she says like as long as there's a human being there's the potential for paradise. Yes. Yeah. Um, and instead of just like telling us that in this movie they actually show us what that would look like with all these other characters including Rey who I don't think we should overlook in this sequence oh my God, since she's no. kind of the main character. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean I I don't know. I always have conflicting thoughts over Rey and not so much her character, but just like the way that the series treats her and the way the culture <laughs> treats her at large. Well, but, the way that culture yeah, treats her. Um, Jeez, that's a, a whole other episode, I feel like. Um, but yeah, I mean, so so part of me like a little bit rolls my eyes. I'm like, what is goodbye? What is why do we hold hands? But I mean, I think it builds really nicely. I think, and I, again, this is the sadistic Anno, like you really do actually have some hope for her in this. And you Mm -hmm. kind of feel like, oh, are we going to demonstrate, you know, these basics of human connection through this blank slate version of Rey learning what it is to be a human in a way that she's never gotten to before? And then, you know, of course, we are, our hopes are stomped <laughs> out on the ground. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, it felt, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a nice through line, I thought. I'm glad that Ray is not really at the center of the action in the final part of the movie, uh, because that, it feels like that ship has really sailed in the other rebuilds. And I thought this was a, a great way of sort of retelling you're right like the basic framework of ray's arc is her gradual socialization and humanization from a blank slate to a person and they do this in this incredibly concise little like miniature just tv show inside of the film and i thought that was a a beautiful way of sending off that character in a way that is less grody than it usually is in the show at least from my perspective yeah yeah and grody that's an interesting word to use in the context. Yeah, that's that seems that feels accurate. <laughs> Most race plot lines end in a place where you're just like, ugh. <laughs> uh, well, he, in the in this in this series, Ray winds up being like one of two, you know, to use Gendo's term, like the horsemen of the apocalypse. Yes, right. Like, and a big part of like the thematics of this movie and what I think I like about it are that it refutes a lot of like the nihilism specifically of end of Evangelion, Mm -hmm. right? Like Ray isn't sort of consigned to be this victim turned Avenger turned wicked demigod, right? Like she can choose humanity, choose hope and do her best to die with dignity. And she like, doesn't usually have a dignified 
death. No, no. I thought that was sort of a, a coup. Mm. I also like have like a lot of conflict about Ray, and it usually like manifests as me in general disconnecting when she's on screen. Mm-hmm. And and this in this film, I was like, I couldn't I couldn't give a fuck for Shinji. Really, I like. And and the Oscar stuff is I'm like okay whatever, but like I keyed in on all the rate the rate with the old ladies oh yeah like changing her clothes even if it's weird that she changes back into a schoolgirl yeah. outfit like that <laughs> seemed to be good for her you know yeah I, I, I really like that that arc yeah I was satisfied with Ray no it is it is a I mean when you zoom out it is a better ending for her it is. And and the fact that it feels like even though she's not in control of her own death, she kind of it feels like she is just because she can see it coming and she can like kind of pick her time and, and the context in which she does sort of exit. Yeah, no, that's true. I think it's interesting. Like, I'm I'm now I'm now I'm wondering for myself like who I connected to most in this film. Because, yeah, maybe I would agree maybe that that Shinji is a little bit, yeah, he's a little bit distant in this one. Just, I mean, also just totally checked out for the first half of the movie. I mean, I'm such a Misato fan in general. Like, I think she's like one of the most fucked up characters in the whole series. And so I love her for that. Um, But, but still like this, this version of, I mean... I guess I don't want to say adult like it's not like she's not an adult before, but she is like <laughs> grim, dark Misato. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is uh, yeah, again, again, like distant and purposely so. But when she kind of becomes more of the recognizable Misato that we know in the end, I'm just like standing up, freaking out. Mm-hmm. Like that was one of mm-hmm. my I, I, in the notes I was trying to write down all the times I like actively just like, <gasps> like <laughs> caught my breath and I think you know I think that her whole conclusion was super satisfying in this even if she is a little bit out of the action in the first half like I feel like we we need to at least touch on the Kaji stuff before we can get into Masada okay. because that that oh, plays yeah. into a lot of what's going on with her character in the, in these movies Kaji dies off screen again uh <laughs> This is this is the choice that I feel like is mo- I have the hardest time figuring out why it was done this way in the story. We get to meet Masato and Kaji's son, but he's it, it, this whole thing was kind of bewildering to me. What did, what did you guys make of this? Well, there's a weird thing where it's like like Kaji sort of steps out and Mari steps in in two. And right. they feel like they're more or less playing the same role, especially once we learn Mari's real name, which, you know, it, it kind of all thematically links up. But, yeah, I guess the point is, like, like she's a version of Kaji that can pilot an Ava or something. As far as, like, not as far as her <laughs> ideological stance, but she's more like an extension of, of Kaji in a way. But I miss him, so <laughs> I wish he was around. Um, I don't know. I agree with that. However, just like from I don't know, I'm not a I'm not a filmmaker. You 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 are. But 
as someone who like loves story and considers themselves in some ways a storyteller, like this kind of like massive retcon dump, like just feels sloppy to me. It's by the way, Kaji died off screen. Also, he's why not everyone died last time. Also, Misada was pregnant at the time. She did know she didn't tell anybody. Now they have a son. He looks just like Shinji. That doesn't make any sense. Also, Misato doesn't think she'd be a good mom, so she abandons him. Which, like, that's the thing that, like, bugs me. Is we shouldn't, I shouldn't, I should treat the films as separate from the series. I think. In the abstract. But at the same time, like, so much of the series leans on you having, so much of the the rebuilds leans on you having watched the series that I don't know if if that's really... Is that even a good faith reading? I'm not sure. And in the Misato from the series doesn't would at least like try to be a good mom. I don't think she I would. Think. You don't think she no. would? Okay. I don't think okay, she Okay, why? Well, I don't think she would after like the third impact or the near third impact. I think I think that what she perceives as what she led Shinji to is a huge regret and huge like rebuttal of all of her maternal instincts around him Mm, like that mm. his his sins are as much her sins in in her eyes so i think that i i understand the misato part of that a lot and like you know whatever it makes sense that she would be pregnant with his child sure i think yes you have to be leaning more on your knowledge of the series to like be like oh yeah i guess he died and that is the stuff that you know, even having rewatched it this week, I'm like, wait a second, did I miss something? Like, 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 you know, what what reality are we dealing in now? <laughs> um, but the Masato stuff makes sense to me, honestly. Like, that's fine. <laughs> There's okay. things I, I I agree actually. The framing it as like her guilt and sense of responsibility for causing third impact, causing her to grow up. In the same way that, because like one of the things I didn't get to note in our our episode about Rebuild 3 is that she doesn't drink anymore. Like we never see Masato drinking in either 3 or Mm 4. And I feel like Rebuild 2 plays up her drunkenness to kind of like a comical degree. Like she's just like casually drunk in the afternoon in a few different scenes in that movie like that aren't actually about her. And so I feel like the choice to have her be completely sober for the second two films is really like a pointed one. And her whole finale is like her getting to be a responsible authority figure in a way that she never could have if she had been the Masato from the first half. Yeah. And so there's that line where like Kensuke says, like not only bad things came from near third impact. And I feel like Masato having this chance, even if it comes at like the shame and guilt of what she did to Shinji, her being able to grow up and be like a fully formed and functional adult in that context is sort of like, one of the silver linings yeah from that very mistake do you think though like her self-sacrifice is something that original Masato wouldn't do because I I feel like if anything that is like core Misato is that she'll do the reckless crazy thing like she is very heroic in some way like classically heroic in a lot of ways but yeah, but like you know, the it very, uh, very strongly you know frames it in terms of this is the way that she can be a mother 
to her son is by <laughs> killing herself. <laughs> but um, but it it's like her becoming her dad, yeah. right? It's like right same scene of the crime yes. like at the South Pole. Right. It sort of loops all the way back around. And we get like a, a retelling of her taking the bullet for Shinji yeah. the way that right. she does in the end of Eva. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like a, a dissolving bullet, apparently. They get rid of it pretty quickly. You're, yeah, it's. Oh my th- God. The di- they're sort okay. Of, it was just meant to <laughs> incapacitate dissolving. him. She didn't, want kill, she didn't want to kill him. She likes him. <laughs> <laughs> That's. Mm, okay, we're going to get into that. But I just, I just want to say. I agree with your assessment of the way that like this does feel like the only possible end for for Misato and that it does have this classical heroism to it. But it was so on point that I did have that reaction where I was like bawling. I was like, no, yeah, not Misato, my big sister. I never had. <laughs> but at the same time, like when she like takes the comrade hat off and her hair comes down, I did like get a little flash of that. Bugs Bunny meme that goes like Lord forgive me but it's time to go back to the old me like I was like this is pretty entertaining it's, in like a way that maybe it shouldn't be oh I I ex- I accepted a lot of the fan service in this movie down to that I was like it felt sort of inevitable too like with the sunglasses on and everything it's like that's gonna that's gotta come off at some point. She's not gonna keep those sunglasses on through the end of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Cause they're not even right. the right sunglasses. Or are they? Are they the same sunglasses or <laughs> shade tipping moment? I don't know. <laughs> oh no, they're, they're not. I feel like those are more like the blocky. Yeah. She's it's like a visor. These are like Right, exactly. Yeah. Why isn't she wearing pit vipers? I feel like Misato likes WWE. This is a missed opportunity. Wow. You kept you kept the Yamaha product placement, but you didn't get with the Pit Vipers on. <laughs> Do it again. Oh man! Oh Yamaha's. Um, so was that like just was that one of those lead product placement ads? Because one thing that I'm reminded of here, because I'm looking at GarageBand, and at the bottom half of it, there's like a. I don't know what it does, but there's like a tuning fork symbol, which looks like the spear mm-hmm. of Longinus. Uh, <laughs> but also Yamaha's logo is three tuning forks. So three spears. Three spears. <laughs> oh my God. If a fucking Yamaha rep gave them the way to crack the finale, can you imagine? That would be insane. <laughs> We also know that Gendo is an iPhone user, which I thought was a pretty funny reveal in these movies. <laughs> Why isn't his home button a weird crack in his head? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't know. My iPhone is giving me a weird crack in my head, metaphor- metaphorically speaking. So, yeah. yeah, he should have had the, the spike coming out of the back of his, uh, his skull. That would have been Gendo's true final form. <laughs> oh, we, we all breaking? Everything okay with the cat? Yeah, he's fine. He's just a little ball of pure wanton destruction. <laughs> is it a new cat or is this a oh. weeks old? Oh my god! Oh no, sorry. Weeks, weeks with me. Oh okay. Months, month, months old. Still very much kitten. Yeah. But like, he won't let me sleep. He won't let me eat. He won't leave the other cat alone. He needs to parkour at all times. <laughs> I love him to death. But it is not mostly my little Instagram story of him patiently, like, watching the Evangelion movie with me purring. Mostly it's (laughs) 
He's a furry pinball. Oh my god. Is he's like going through his terrible twos. Um, he's he's yeah, he's yeah. for for sure. So you're saying instead of the the calm, relaxed first half, it's more of the hyper energetic non-stop chaos of the second half of this movie. Does this segue mean well, we have to leave in your discussion of your cat? <laughs> I mean, we we don't necessarily have to. Although I, <laughs> no, leave I, it. I it's good say, color. It's good color. Well, it's so my. Okay, here's. I every time I look at my cat, I think of Fiutski. Be, <laughs> because here's why. So my my partner's cat is black and is named Ninja. Before I met her and we started living together right so when i wanted a cat we said okay we want it to match but i have a white cat so i'm like what's the opposite of ninja that can be white i said okay i'm gonna call him shogun so his shortened name is shogi so now whenever i like see him i see fuski pushing his little shogi pieces around but he does not have a calm fuski demeanor um (laughs) that that said Fiutski goes pretty hard in this movie. Like one of my big takeaways from the second half is why is Fiutski the second to last boss in a super NES RPG? Yeah. He's too fucking strong. Yeah. Yeah. Billy gets owned in the second half. Like they really did not know what they were getting themselves into. Yeah. I, I, maybe you guys can like walk through the Fiutski part because that was one thing that kind of confounded me. Sure. I I think I actually, upon the second time that I watched this movie, I think I figured it out. With some help from our friends from the Kaiju Transmission podcast who gave us some useful trivia about these movies uh, in our last episode that we did about Shin Godzilla. They pointed out that the four atoms that appear in the second impact in Rebuild 2, like, correspond with, like, the original Ultramen from the Ultra... like. like there's like some, I don't quite know all of this, but I, it reminded me that there are four atoms in this movie, in these movies, uh, rather than the single atom from the original show. And all four atoms apparently can power these huge ships like the wonder and nerve has three of them. And so Fuske is using all three of them to basically defeat Villa and start the fourth impact. Cause you need all four of those to open up, second the the portal to the anti-universe the way that they did in the second impact so we're we're coming back to the beginning again basically is from my really loose understanding of what the hell happened in that uh that finale okay (laughs) no one can see this because it's a podcast but emily the look on your face of sheer bewilderment i know um i yeah I well I I've don't. become Joseph. I've I'm now doing what <laughs> Joseph usually does to me. <laughs> we're we're like you are actually attempting to understand I mean, the metaphysics. I am the 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 equations are flying past my face. <laughs> <laughs> no, for 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 sure. And is it like the it's the four atoms but also the four horsemen yeah. of the apocalypse? So it's uh, I mean, the Ultraman stuff kind of flies over my head. But, uh, no, no, yeah. no, same here. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm grasping at straws here to to do my best. Okay. But, um, the point is that, as always, Gendo's plan is to make other people do the plan for him without telling them. Yes. 
And so, of course, the minute that the heroes arrive, they're actually the ones to instigate the apocalypse yes. as per usual. That that action sequence, I think, kicked a ton of ass. I really oh loved that. Oh, my God. It was so good. <laughs> <laughs> like, one tiny detail at the beginning that I'd love to point out is when they're arriving, the music kind of, like, openly quotes You Only Live Twice, the Bond theme, in the sort of descending string patterns like which also shows oh, up you're in right. that Nancy Sinatra song from that particular Bond movie. And I love that that you only live twice. It's the, yeah, you know, yeah. the cycle repeats. The music was so good throughout all of that. I was so, mm-hmm. so amped. And like the kind of new version of the, is there an official title for the cue we all know from Ava, the like, which is also on the kind of James Bond time signature, but the, you know, the, the same one that shows the up dumb, in Shin Godzilla. Dumb, <laughs> like, dumb, dumb, uh, yeah. Dumb, dumb, dumb. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, there's yeah. like it's, a kind of slower it's version. It's called Angel Angel Attack. Angel Attack. Two. Yeah. Okay. It's the second. It's the Because se- the Angel Attack one is the dun 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 yes. Is the like kaiju plotting. Yes. And then Angel Attack two is the like dun, nerve dun, revving dun, their dun. shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, why do I know this? No, garbage? I knew that. I knew that. I just forgot about it uh, because I've probably like looked up that music to throw into something for comedic effect before. <laughs> um, <laughs> sure. But uh, yeah, no, but there's like a kind of a little slowed down version of that that feels like it feels like, oh, my fucking God, we're wa- watching the last Ava movie. Holy shit. <laughs> like it's, it's really good. I was I was so amped for I was like literally like clutching my surroundings through that entire um sequence yeah the the Oscar Mari bullet hell fight scene too kicked it just ruled it ruled it was so good I I just like (laughs) flipped my lid the entire time I love how all of Nerve's um bots look like repurposed parts from the old show it's just like scraping the bottom of the barrel for like oh we got some unit one arms that'll just be an enemy you know yeah uh like scrapping it for junk it's just oh man oh yeah the arm flying around was not yeah that was great (laughs) good stuff (laughs) if we're gonna talk okay i like i also kind of dig the bullet hell sequence though i i i think the like swarms of like sort of red dead unit one bodies is not very cinematic even though it's like very ambitious well it's very familiar i have to say like am i am i gonna reference aquaman here i'm gonna reference aquaman uh but there's the whole i mean there's a really cool sequence i actually like that movie a lot uh it's silly as hell but it's pretty fun and there's a whole sequence where they go into like the a trench and there are all these like I don't even know what they are, but there's some these like red creatures that are like, you know, the the sightless fish or something that are coming after them. And then, I mean, it's a very anime thing, like swarms of sort of like dummies. There's a whole, I mean, my favorite season of Sailor Moon has that is like the the whole finale sequence is all these sort of like empty vessel type drones coming after them. I mean, that felt Mm -hmm. a little bit familiar but there was so much else going on there that i didn't really mind that as much like yeah there are other things that were more reminiscent of other anime that we can get to that come later on where i was like oh is that what we're doing now but that i was cool with we get some classic naval warfare for the kenskes in the audience who really dig that kind of thing (laughs) i thought it it sort of felt like we were checking off the influence checklist before 
you know, closing it all down. It's at first, you know, watching this movie for the first time, having that super long runtime was just like, well, I'm glad because it's the last one we're going to get. And so I want as much of it as possible, but it's also sort of exhausting. But thinking of it as almost like checking off and like kind of just giving as many like encores to as many of the things that we loved about the show and that the creators of the show loved about its predecessors kind of pairs pretty well with like the theme of like carrying on tradition and, you know, honoring the past. I love all the, the, you know, the bridge crew tying the bandanas and literally saying like, we're doing this for our dead comrades. I was like, Oh my my God. (laughs) So fucking metal. It's so good. (laughs) Um, I forgot the bandanas, but that was a good moment. I, yeah. I think I might have been just a little overpowered by the it's brief, but you get this weird insinuation that like Mari and Asuka live together inside another bomb box, like the same bomb box that they put Shinji in. Mm-hmm. And Mari has like stockpiled it with books. books. Yeah. That's like a weird subtext that comes into this movie. It starts in the Ray mm-hmm. sequence, but like particularly in the, in the end, there's this weird like thing where like maybe Ano's like new hobby horse for the kids is read a book. Literacy's good. <laughs> Learn your ABCs with Evangelion. Well, Learn to fish, read a book, call your dad. That's kind of the big takeaway from this movie. Is it read oh. a book though? Because like Gendo is also obsessed with books and that's like in his whole kind of mm. end monologue. And that's sort of like, you know, I'm pursuing knowledge in lieu of having human connections and there is a little bit of like tree of knowledge type feeling to how that can, that kind of theme resurfaces over and over again in this film. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not really sure what to make of it, but I, I mean, it could be read a book is it also could be like read a book, but also make friends. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Don't it's just interesting how they're, the piano. <laughs> they're, they're framed differently. It's like Gendo is using books to like, pursue knowledge purely for himself but the way mari phrases it is more like connecting to the base of human knowledge like it is a means to connect to another person i do wish that like these movies took better care of like characterizing her more because you know as as we're going to get to she plays such a pivotal role in this final sequence that it feels like this movie is kind of cramming in a lot about her pretty fast that I just wish we I just wish I knew this person better so I could care more. But I don't know. How do, how do you feel about all of that? I don't know. I mean, when she is, I mean, jumping ahead a bit, when she is revealed to be Mary Iscariot, <laughs> I kind of went. <laughs> and I mean, so a thing that I kind of have always sort of felt is has a lot of pleasant similarities to Evangelion is um the his dark materials series which is one of my favorite things of all time both end up being about killing god essentially <laughs> um but big saying yeah but there is a whole plot line in that that kind of comes um kind of halfway through the series where there's this character who's named Mary who is essentially She's not like a Judas figure, but she's like the snake in 
in the Garden of Eden, who basically all the characters are sort of reenacting this this creation story and kind of rebuilding the world sans God. Um, so she sort of is the 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 agent that kind of brings together these two characters and um there's a lot of stuff about original sin also (laughs) and like all this stuff but um but when she was revealed to kind of be a similar figure in this I was like oh I wish that yeah exactly I wish we would have felt that like if that that felt a little more paved or that she at least got to be more of a character because that's a really interesting role to play in this story Mm -hmm. and could have been fleshed out a little more than her just being like kind of I mean she's like she's a great action figure but she is kind of just an action figure that's sort of how I felt about her uh, leading up to this so I said it before but I'll say it again his dark materials fuck yes probably like the the like storytelling property that makes me feel the most like this and that maybe because I'm rereading those books right oh now shit I'm jealous. Yeah. I mean, I reread them every few years. They're the, I haven't even watched the series all the way through because I'm actually like so... I love the book so much I kind of don't want to see any, any visual representation of them. But yeah. We should we should take... If we're going to have that conversation, we should take it off offline. Suffice to say, I actually think like that is a property that would like lend itself well to like an anime adaptation. Oh, totally. Better than a live action one, I think. Uh, for for yeah. sure, um, I mean, especially where I am now in the story, which is where they're going to hell. <laughs> Spoiler alert! Oh yeah, the land of the dead. So you're reading Amber Ugh. Spyglass now? I'm in I'm in Amber Spyglass yeah. right now. Anyway, that was a slight tangent, but the 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 Mary Iscariot part, I think, is kind of a linchpin because. I'm working on this framework in my mind that like in the way that 3.0 was like a critique of the way that he, that Anno did this series. I'm seeing this as a critique of end of Evangelion. Yes. And yeah, totally. My take in end of Evangelion is I love that film, but I hate Shinji in it. Yes. And, and he really is like a despicable. Yeah. He's a despicable antichrist figure. Yeah. And, and so my interpretation of the Mari thing in this one is that, what was missing in Evangelion was like a, a a traitor, so to speak, someone to sell the Antichrist out. But because Shinji is the Antichrist who will choose not to die and instead unmake the world, the way to betray the Antichrist is to rescue him. Yeah. Yeah. From like this cycle of infinite subjectivity. And I love that concept. Yeah. I think I think it is what was missing in end of Evangelion and sort of like my, in a way, my ideal ending for the series would be like most of end of Evangelion. And then the last 30 minutes of this movie stapled on mm. to it, sort of, mm. but the problem there is there's no Mari in end of right. Evangelion. And, and like my issue with this, here's Joseph's Oscar fanboy hour again. This feels like this should be Oscar's role. Yeah. She's the person who slaps him out of stuff. That's sort of like, her her mythic yeah. part to play. I feel like these movies are just doing something drastically different with Oscar because she's a clone. She's you know she's literally given a different name, and like Gendo makes it clear that like the purpose of the Oscar clones and the Ray clones is to work together to reenact the Bardial you know 
ritual, basically, to bring on this final apocalypse. Um, and it almost needs Mari to be a character not from the original show to kind of like parachute her way into this story in order to take Shinji out of this story mm -hmm. in some way. Mm. Like, hmm. it can't be Asuka because Asuka's from the world that we need to escape. Yeah, she's a pawn, whereas, like, Mari feels more kind of almost like a... <laughs> yeah, like a an editorial decision <laughs> in the form of a character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't really know... I'm going to have to think more about, like, what Asuka means in this rebuild because it does feel, yeah, drastic. And it's not... Un like, I think her transformation into the like her full angelification was really i mean that was another part where i just like like yeah. <laughs> audibly gasped and went what the fuck <laughs> um because it all it also looked fantastic but yeah i i'm still kind of sorting through what to make of that um, that's definitely the most heavy metal moment in in the in this series that's definitely like my like norwegian black metal riff comes out when she rips the eye patch off and has the blue eye and i'm like here for this yes berserker time <laughs> so so when when her and mari kind of go into that berserker mode i mean what is because they both do they both like you know their eyes glow they kind of take on this you know sort of more monstrous visage and i kind of wonder now like now that we kind of know these very very different roles that they're playing kind of what that means visually for them or mm -hmm. what it says about what it means to pilot and ava in this new reality in this you know future world i don't know it yeah some these movies definitely lean on the way that being an ava pilot like fundamentally changes who you yes. are so it's like that's almost like the physical representation of that is like not only do they not age outside of the Avas, but when they're in the Avas, it's taking the idea of like losing your physical form yeah. to the next level by having the physical form be mutable when they're going into these like, you know, higher level sync rates with with the Avas. Yeah, it does feel also like in this one more than even the last one, the Avas are so biological like, they're not even mm. recognizable as, like, mechs anymore. They are these beasts. They're these biological beings, which is, uh, you know, makes for some good sound effects, at least. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a line in End of Evangelion. It's, I think Keel says it, but it's when they call in the, the mass-produced Avas to fight Asuka. He has this line where he says, we will defeat evil with evil. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think, I don't know, but I think that's a reference to the Egyptian Book of the Dead. There's also like a Nile song about this for everyone who's, who's interested. But there's this like chapter in the Book of the Dead wherein on your journey to the, anti, to, to, to the afterlife, the Pharaoh must summon wicked beasts to defeat wicked, wicked beasts, hmm. evil to cast out evil. And when I see them, like, go into the berserker mode, I think this is evocative of, of that same idea and echoing end of Evangelion. That's Asuka's, like, evil to defeat evil yeah. moment. But like the end of the series, as opposed to end of Evangelion, the film later refutes it because, and, and, and this is, I think, like, 
the other big coup of the movie is when Shinji's fighting Gendo Mm -hmm. in unit one, unit versus unit 13, Gendo has this like a refutation of that line where he's like, we can't solve our contest with violence. He's he's projecting like yeah. a, a good worldview there. Yeah. He's like, let's I, chat. I, I think. <laughs> right. It's that's why that's why Oscar's sort of like that's the essence of her failure. Is he's like you you can't defeat the apocalypse with violence. Yeah. As a leftist, I don't know if I believe that, but I like them like giving me the concept. Right. Yeah. I mean, I in a way feel like that's been at least like for both the series and the rebuild that's been a kind of unifying general idea I think even from episode one of the series there has been this Mm -hmm. feeling of like the very act of having the Evas and putting children in them and this entire way of combat is so fucked up and evil and and does so much harm to are ostensible heroes that like it might as well be the same as succumbing to an angel attack like it's so damaging and that you know i mean i feel like you see that kind of thing in a lot of war movies uh but i yeah but then to kind of move that into sort of a theological context is uh that just kind of feels what the whole series has been building to yeah i mean that changes even like that's this is sort of like the nietzschean thing like you know don't stare into the abyss lest the abyss stare back at you and like gendo does become inhuman to defeat an inhuman enemy in some way like we get like the (laughs) gendo going into his final fantasy 8 final boss (laughs) mode (laughs) the the star eyes and all that yeah yeah i think the other big thing that this movie does like the the biggest addition is comparing it to end of Ava is the way that like Gendo dies in this sort of like karmically justified way where he gets just, he doesn't get the ending that he wants at the end of end of Ava, but he never has the con like the him and Shinji never really interact during that entire movie. They're sort of circling around each other. And these movies really put like from the first one all the way to this one have put the Gendo versus Shinji thing front and center like all of these movies end in one way or another with some sort of conflict between the two of them and rebuild two is entirely built around what if we could reconcile these two people Mm -hmm. and that that finally is paid off in the finale of this movie yeah yeah i have to say like it's not that i I, i've actually found that storyline like pretty compelling and it's such a basic like almost meme to death part of ava um that you can't not really like it's so part and parcel of the series like Gendo and Shinji but I think there was some part of me maybe it was just exhaustion at that point that once it kind of became between them especially the kind of physical part even though the whole kind of going through Shinji's memories part was kind of cool I kind of checked out a little bit because it was it felt (sighs) I guess in comparison to like all the massive stuff that we'd been dealing up to then. I was like, oh, we still got to talk about this kid and his dad. Oh, brother. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it, it a little bit lost me at that point. But 
The first time through, it definitely lost me there just because I, I feel like I had to overcome a sensation of like, I already know this. Yes. Like, yes. This, is, yes. This, this is so obvious if you like really dig into the original show and yeah. End of Ava that it felt like baby school. And I don't, that feels like kind of rude to people that maybe have a very different relationship with these movies than they do with the original series. So I don't want to like be like, oh, you should have everyone should have already figured out that this is what the show is about. We don't need it to be literally true, but yeah, I don't know. Like in the context of these movies by themselves, I think it works, but you're right. It is like, Oh my God, we're in hour two. How much longer can this thing go on? I, I do like the really janky CGI in the Tokyo fight. That was where, so like, weird. That was very, that took, that also took me out of it <sighs> a little bit. In addition to, Oh God, these two again, like, Mm-hmm. everything up till then I thought had been really solid I'd been actually really impressed with how they'd sort of melded the drawn and CGI stuff but that was just the frame rate was all off it was very weird um, it almost looks like it's mo-capped like yeah. that it's like actually like dudes in rubber suits again fighting or something yeah and the fact that like when Shinji gets like knocked up against the you know, the edge of the city, it bends like a set or like a tarp or something. Once they leaned into how this is obviously supposed to appear not real, I think the the jankiness of it sort of felt justified to me. But you're right. It is supposed to be sort of like off-putting and like ugly at first glance. Well, I don't know if I buy that along with like, I don't know if I buy... I don't know if I buy the Ray head being intentionally awful looking... I don't either. I don't know. It feels like maybe they ran up against a deadline <laughs> with that <laughs> stuff. Like, cause the, the unreality of it is one thing. And like the kind of like, you know, Misato's apartment being revealed to be this like set within Shinji's memory or something is like, that's sort of a, a cool thing to flash through and, and is an interesting, I don't know. It kind of, it throws such a different light on the entire series up to that point. But the actual technical unreality of the <laughs> the fighting Avas was another thing. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Flashing into Misato's apartment, I, I like, laughed yes. out loud. But in a, in a good way. Yeah. Like, I, I like, part of me was like, please let the entire fight be the two Avas in Misato's apartment flinging the beer cans at one another's head. Like, there's Doritos something exploding ab- in the background. A, big, a yeah. twister contest, like, or whatever. <laughs> um, Re- reenacting the Asuka sequence, but they're just going to take the Doritos and shove it down the, the other one's throat. Yeah. Swallow the product placement. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it... it there is, you know, in the same way that kind of throwing Mari in there feels like this sort of editor's hand type thing and also kind of plays up the the idea of everybody kind of playing a role within this really, you know, they're kind of puppets in this grand sort of cycle of the universe story. Like that that part, I, I think, really evoked that a lot just because it makes you think back on the when the show felt like just another anime about a boy piling in a robot. And it's like, and now it's this huge cosmic brain, galaxy brain thing, but we're back in classroom 2A. It's like, it kind of makes you really feel the scale of this journey that we've been on with these mm-hmm. people. Um, it was a, I thought it was an interesting choice. And then we wind up on the train of thought again, and we get 
for the first time the Gendo interrogation sequence. And I, yes. I love that this, the final fight is actually just a conversation because yes. that mirrors the way that the show went from having angel fights to having conversations with the angels over yeah. the course of it. I will say that I, again, like I sort of just feel like we already knew all this about Gendo and it feels repetitive, but it does give us new information and it is like, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm definitely of both minds about how all of the, the final thing stuff with Gendo went down. I don't quite know where I stand yet. Well, do you feel like we get that from Gendo from the rebuilds necessarily or you're right. Yeah. Not really. Cause it is just like me bringing end of Ava into this movie. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I, and, and, and I, this is where I have a hard time sorting what I know from the series versus what I know from the rebuilds. Cause I've watched the series so many more times than the rebuilds but yeah it it was a I didn't think it was an unsatisfying but it did definitely feel like a literalization of a bunch of stuff that I think had been really strong just as subtext through everything so yeah mm -hmm. do, do either of you think though isn't there some power in in embodying it though in visualizing it because like subtext is great and I love subtext, but this is like a visual storytelling medium. And that is a new experience that we didn't get to have mm -hmm, the first mm -hmm. time. Like we, we don't get to interrogate Gendo. Like young and Gendo, like, like pre-Yui Gendo, especially. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And also I think while we don't get any new information, I think the embodiment of it does sort of like in, enrich that character to me in some ways. Um, I'm thinking specifically about two, two things. The first thing that I think specifically about is when he talks about how like visiting his extended family when he was a child was excruciating. I was like, feel that. Yeah. 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 That's real though. Like I was like, I can, and making me relate to Gendo is hard to do. Yeah. And and the other thing is he has this line where he's like, where's Yui? Why is everybody Ray? And I, there's in that one line of dialogue, I think there's such a window into the way that he he perceives like life that did mean something. Yeah. To 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 me. Maybe Ian feels differently. He's hmm. he's looking at the ceiling like maybe maybe not. I'm just chewing on it. It's yeah. it's a heavy thing to to me. What what jumped out about this is how much Gendo is just Shinji from the show in that whole sequence, and that highlights how radically different Shinji is by that point than he has been from any other Shinji that we've met up to that point. So it almost feels like it's new Shinji confronting old Shinji as much as it's Shinji confronting Gendo. It's kind of how I felt about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yes, in, in literalizing Gendo's story, yes, we do also kind of literalize Shinji's essential bug. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. um, and I always, I mean, I always just can't help because I read, like, this essay has just been so informative to me, but um, Takashi Murakami's big essay i mean it's had some different titles but there was a book that he put out that was like it's like a coffee table book called little boy that has it, it's a lot to do with otaku culture and there's a lot of stuff in there about um evangelion as well i mean shinji's on the cover of it um mm. but uh yeah and it's a lot about this sort of the kind of like hikokimori like shut-in type 
mentality and like which I think is much I mean here we have incels and we talk about incels and I think that's sort of a related phenomenon of sort of this like like societal hand-wringing I shouldn't say hand-wringing because that makes it sound like not justified like it is it's a real problem about like what (laughs) what's happening to our boys (laughs) and Mm -hmm. and I think that that sort of that withdrawing that sort of fixation on one person in the form of Yui and that kind of um the, the frustration with something that, that with things that are beyond your control with things that are outside of your AT field that all felt like really underlining all those themes which and to me that kind of like I feel like Ano has talked about that stuff both implicitly and explicitly it's something that I mean it's it's kind of the anime was a mistake <laughs> type uh, right, right. Uh, yeah Miyazaki sentiment and I think like understanding it on that level which is a kind I mean it's not as it's not as specifically Japanese now I think we have our own version of that now but that that adds like a dimension to it that I think is really it's really sad <laughs> it's just it's really tragic and it's and it's not like Gendo is this huge scale villain who's like trying to alter the very fabric of reality but like that stuff is actually it's like he's quite normal in a really tragic way (laughs) and Mm -hmm. um yeah it it, that I think illustrated it really well and the style of animation too there the kind of we kind of go back to that rudimentary sort of sketchy um style which is obviously more intentional this time around but um yeah I thought that was all really effective yeah at the very beginning of the recording when you were mentioning like how much energy was put into making a lot of the abstract stuff from the final two episodes kind of like the hi-fi version that we get of it Mm -hmm. in this finale that sort of I'm so glad that we got like the quote like the backstage sequences and the sketch sequences Mm -hmm. and like reality falling apart in the same way because you know I, I sometimes I feel like there's this like shame about the final two episodes from the creators of the show being like it didn't turn out the way we wanted it to but it's like i love those episodes i do too so to like and i feel like he liked them too same. until everybody gave him shit about it like right. i think i think there's the a pinkerton phenomenon yes i think yeah. there's a kind of defensiveness about it that then he ended up like absorbing that crit- critique but i don't know to to me those episodes are such a maybe accidental triumph but still a triumph and like when in the final you know final sequence of this when we do start to go back to those you know unfinished cells and with the water and the waves and and Shinji going back to his drawn self I was sobbing like yeah that was I'm even getting choked up thinking about it now like it was so intense to kind of go back and nod to that and also (laughs) Maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but sort of plant the seed, especially in the context which we haven't even gotten into, like Ava Imaginary, of like, what if this is all still that sequence? (laughs) What if we're still, this is all interior, this entire Mm -hmm. thing has been interior, and which doesn't necessarily negate it either, just as it kind of makes you think about what's possible within a single person (laughs) like i don't know um so i read this book 
during like the beginning of quarantine. It's called On Dramatic Writing by Lajos Igri. And it's like ostensibly like a book that is like a how-to for writing plays. But it becomes sort of like a, a treatise on like the purpose of art. The purpose of like f- f- narrative fiction specifically, mm-hmm. but art in general. And Igri like gets to this very fascinating point where he argues, and I think this is like... I've internalized this idea a lot and it's resulted in like a lot of friction between a lot of my friends who are musicians, weirdly enough, because like Igri gets to this point where he's like, self-expression is not the purpose of art. The purpose of art in his mind is to express a worldview and offer it for critique and integration for other, for other people. It's like to be like a storyteller is to have the confidence to say, I have a worldview and I think it's useful. Mm-hmm. I think it's good for other people to have and I'm going to create a story to offer you the worldview and let you choose to adopt it. Um, the, the Evangelion imaginary sequence is to, to me like a, a, a moment of maybe almost too literally that of like Gendo being like, this is the magic of humans is belief in fantasy. Mm-hmm. The ability to like have fantasy become tantamount to reality and use that to alter your own reality. Mm-hmm. And I, I really liked that. Yes. It, 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 it felt like maybe the most honest moment from him in maybe in everything. Yeah. You mean honest mm-hmm. from Gendo? Honest from Gendo, but also like honest from from Anno, Anno or the creators yeah. of him being like, because the bad faith interpretation of Evangelion is is that it's sort of like bedroom poetry or like whining. <laughs> Fuck you, Dad! I'm still mad at you, Dad. Fuck you, fans! I'm still mad at you, fans. And like that is like a moment where I think he does peel the onion one layer deeper and says, "No, I'm making Evangelion for a reason." I'm remaking Evangelion for a reason. The reason is I want you to understand like the 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 power of storytelling yeah. to make a better world. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think I mean even if it does start from one like the story and the origin of it starts from one man's crippling depression, I think like as a person who deals with depression, like it what one of the one way that you can experience it is that everything becomes about everything. And I think that this story starts with a boy not being able to or being feeling rejected or disconnected from his father and that becomes about like a metaphysical (laughs) like that becomes a metaphysical story that involves multiple realities and Mm -hmm. and god and the antichrist and stuff and and i think that that doesn't that doesn't even mean it's not that bedroom poetry. It just means that the bedroom poetry can be huge. It's not, it's not, that's not a small thing to embark upon. Um, yeah. I, (laughs) yeah, it's, it's an ode to like the act of creativity in that way. And it's also saying like, if you dig into the problems, it can be this, as you're saying, like the scale of it can feel like, you know, multiple ends of the world, to get to this point, like the, the amount of work that needs to be done to have that confrontation with Gendo and to come to terms with maybe the Gendo inside of you can feel like this grand cosmic opera. 
even if it is just as simple as like like Shinji does in Rebuild 2 just trying to call your dad on the phone yeah you know yeah. like the the small contains the infinite and the infinite contains yeah. the small and mom's in the tape deck um <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Jeez, OP. What do you think that was? Is that a retcon? Is that uh, so? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I, I mean, it's it's absurd, but is that what happened? Was it that Yui was in the tape deck the whole time? I mean, it, that, wait, yeah, that he gives. What? Wow, he gives like at the like that's Gendo's exit. Is that he he? gives him the tape deck and he's like wow it was here all, all along or something to that effect and then he huh. conveyor belts out of frame like <laughs> um oh, but then there's why, a sequence where, where like, the cassette reappears yeah yeah in the entry yes. plug in the entry right? plug. it's yeah. it's, wow. it's yui's yeah. eternal return and i think that her yeah re-embodying everything and i think there was some speculation that that's where that version of ray was but i mean close but no cigar i mean i think i think that we're told pretty explicitly that that's yui Oh. Damn, you just blew my mind. <laughs> Fuck. I mean, we'll check it. I, I, wow. I haven't yeah. actually read that many in-depth readings of this yet, so maybe I'm. I but I I that was one thing that felt pretty clear to me. Or, um. Wow, I'll have to chew on that. Shit. Um, you just blew a cross-shaped hole in the <laughs> skull. <laughs> just scoop it uh, back up and. <laughs> Oh God! What is what a little touch! I screamed right at here. that too. I, <laughs> uh, yeah. Fuck. So I guess the only thing left to tackle is the the very final thing. Unless there's any. Well, there's like Shinji going around and giving all of his friends therapy from uh, from backstage. Which the Oscar one, even if it's not show Oscar, that the, the giant doll sitting down next to kid Oscar like did make me weep oh like my that god really wrecked me yeah what uh, the fuck <laughs> it was ken ken um, all along ken ken came through ken ken. <laughs> um yeah i mean yeah whatever i could go on a whole other oscar tangent that we've mostly covered at this point but yeah <laughs> um yeah but I mean, I'm not going to stop you. Like, I'm here for Oscar tangents. It's a solid 10% of why I agreed to do this insane. <laughs> um, right. No, I mean, it's just, I think, I think, whatever. No, I, I actually don't want to, because I, I feel like it probably is a reach out of a lot of stuff. Because we've seen that story before. We've seen her, her awful childhood repeated so many times, I think. We have we seen the 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 kind of beat of her seeing Shinji with his parents? Has that been, that was new? That's that was new. I mean, that's it's yeah. it's heartbreaking. It's just uh, like, and that's one of the things that's frustrating about that character to me is that like, unlike Ray, who I think whose sadness is feels much more on a poetic level and is like not a relatable human experience at all, unless you are a clone of your mom that your dad made for unknown reasons um, to bring about the end of the world. Uh, I, like, her her sadness, her isolation is so human level. So, like, I mean, you know, back to when she she's uh, in bed with Shinji and says mommy. Like, that's one of the best 
that's one of the best moments in the whole series. And I think that that is the one kind of evidence for bucking the sexualization of Asuka is that you are presenting this sort of cheesecake, like tsundere queen and then, <laughs> uh, like totally upending it and making you feel weird and guilty about it at every turn. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. anytime we return to Asuka's story, I feel really satisfied by that. And I think then that that kind of cheesecakery feels kind of earned, like, or not earned, but yeah. it feels interesting in context. And it feels like the degree to which it is over the top and feels completely gratuitous makes sense. But also it's one of those things where like intent doesn't really matter when, you know, you have body pillows and whatnot. <laughs> like, um, it's the, then the intent is sort of out of the hands of the creator, or maybe it is actually cynical and trying to have it both ways, as I think a lot of stuff in anime is. Like, that's my spiel. <laughs> I mean, doesn't commercialization sort of poisons everything? Yeah. You know, but I don't know if that going back to something you said you said earlier about like these these fictional people feeling like my friends that's that's real Mm -hmm. and this is like one of the only properties if not the only besides maybe also his dark materials that makes me feel that that way and i'm willing to suck a lot up to have that in including like oscar body pillows. Yes. No. Which I personally will not buy, by the way. <laughs> well, and I think that's... Because I'm sure some listeners probably won. <laughs> uh, but... I mean, I think that that's such a huge... I, that is something that I wish that there was more writing on. I, there's a site called Anime Feminist that there have been some some pieces on there that sort of touched on this. And I wish I could recall specific writers' names right now, but I haven't read it in a bit, so I forget. But um, uh, but it's an interesting site to check out for sure. But, but I think reconciling that stuff is is like the constant almost subconscious labor of watching anime as <laughs> as a non-otaku <laughs> as a woman as like as any woman identifying person like that it that it's it's something you're always doing mental gymnastics around and trying to find the interesting read in because you need it to be there and sometimes it is there and sometimes it's not. So <laughs> that's mm. that's, that's mm. my general spiel on that. Do we want to dig into the the final final sequence then or do we, or is there anything else from that that wrap up beforehand that we want to get to first? Well, I only have one okay. thing. I have one thing too. But yeah. Why don't, you should do yours first. I'm sure it's smarter. Well, it's not it's not really smarter. It's just one of these things that like it's not, it, I hate to do this thing where it's like, this thing is like this thing. But um, it is one of those things that made me feel a little bit, as I said before, like a little sense of anticlimacticness. Just seeing tropes that I'd seen before that I'd already had my mind blown by in other properties. And in this case, the whole like, I'm going to reverse the world and have it be a world where there's no Avas is exactly the ending of Madoka Magica which mm. is um <laughs> sorry did you not finish it it's been no 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 oh oh okay. no okay <laughs> I finished okay it. 
Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> please continue. Yeah, I, I mean, and in that that series, I've always compared to Evangelion, but it's the magical girl version, and I adore it. I, I think it's so smart and also punishing in many of the ways that Ava is. And to kind of end with that, I am going to end the world, but I'm going to let it restart. I mean, it's also not exclusive to Madoka, except I think that's a really easy comparison because they are these inverses of popular anime genres. Um but like another one of my favorite series, uh, Serial Experiments Lane essentially does this too. Like, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, true. It's a very, it's a big anime trope. I just think that the 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 Madoka version of it is especially relevant, just because it's about like, can we like so like having the whole point of your story be let's eliminate this genre and all of the unhealthy fantasies surrounding it from the world, um, and. So I, while I think that in a way that was like the inevitable ending of this, in a way it was like, oh, we're doing one of those again. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, but it's not like I can think of anything better or any better way to end it. It's just. I agree with all that. I just, the only thing I, I really like want or that I imagined that I didn't get to see is like, I am tantalized by the idea of having like the whole what if Mari and Asuka together like them being um, not sexually although they do sort of like imply that but I mean like them as the odd couple in the bomb box learning to get along that's something that happens in the time jump that you don't see Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have any headcanon for what goes there beyond reenacting the scene between like uh, Method Man and Red Man and How High where they blast Duhast and dangle the joint in front of the other person's face. Um, that just sounds like a thing that might happen. I don't know why. Uh, that's what I've got. Um, well, it's, it's, I'm going to have to... That also has blown my mind in a completely different way. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so we get this, you know, the retreat into real life in the final sequence. To me, like when I mentioned Twin Peaks, the return earlier, this is really what I was thinking is it sort of feels like the happy version of the end of the return. What year is like, it? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like we, we get to escape the the fiction of the world and get into the real world. But instead that's a good thing for these characters instead of a, uh, an absolute nightmare at the end of Twin Peaks. Um, you're right. It, it feels tropey and it maybe you can kind of see it coming. Cause it's like, bye-bye to all Evangelion. You know, that's like the tagline for the film. So mm-hmm. there's no way that this story could end without the very concept of the story itself sort of being eliminated. Mm-hmm. So it feels kind of pat, but it is powerful in its own way. I I, I do like it. I, I don't yeah. think that there's another cleaner way of doing it almost. No. There, it's like the inevitable from the beginning of the series. It's like the only way this can end. Um, maybe, you know, yeah, I mean, just in, in the abstract, like just eliminating this entire system, um, the entire, you know, fabric of the story needs to mm-hmm. be torn down. Yeah, I, so as far as returning to Tokyo, which I we are to assume is our universe's Tokyo, present day Tokyo, this is my major problem with it. As far as it being a happy ending... It's a choice to have Shinji be in a salary man suit 
it's a choice to have like the brand names on I don't know if there are actually any specific brand names on the skyscrapers as we zoom out um, and to have this very specifically be Tokyo 2021 which is not a utopia (laughs) (laughs) I would rather live in village three maybe and and that's a world that I think has many of the problems that inspired Evangelion in the first place. Mm-hmm. So in a way saying yeah. if you live in our world you are you are free of the toxic cycles that exist in the story of Evangelion is like all wrong to me. <laughs> um and I kind of winced a little bit at least at at the very least at Shinji being a salary man. I was just like I don't want that for him. I want him to be Toji. I want him to live on a commune and, you know, get by on credit. Like, <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, I don't know. That's just my, that, that was, and it, it sucked to have that kind of be the last thought that was going through my head at the end of this. Cause up until then, I think it had been really effective and the whole kind of like Mari on the shore type ending was really great to me. It's just that, and it's also just like so your namey too, <laughs> like um, yeah. that I couldn't help but be taken out of it a little bit. But. Yeah, that's fair. I I guess one way of thinking about it that I, I was trying to formulate while you're saying that is like it's not so much that like you're free of the toxic cycles, but you can see them for what they are, which is reality rather than having to construct the narrative of like escapist fantasy in order to to come to terms with them but it's not like that ending lays that out for you like i you kind of need to that's that's an interjection like if you want yeah it sort of allows you to think like okay as long as you go outside and touch grass then you know shinji can be a happy normal person but there's obviously a lot of uh ideology contained into what normal is right for that that the this doesn't have the ability to unpack entirely yeah yeah i mean it's not like i'm yeah that feels very like again miyazaki-ish to be like all you need to do is touch some grass and then you are free of the sins of the world i don't Mm -hmm. necessarily think that i just think to it because it is such a quick thing, it's such broad strokes. I it's just it, it, it's just a visual choice to make that I think if it was me, I would maybe choose something different. But it's not me, so who cares? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, we care enough to yeah. ask. <laughs> you know, yeah. For not to defend the ending, but and I may be incorrect on this because I haven't like read the comic in a long time but i believe this is the way the comic ends hmm. i th- i think like with mari and um, shinji in that n- no because mari isn't a main character in the oh, I haven't comic read. but in terms of it being like rebooted into our right, reality right. is i think the canonical way that the 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 comic yeah. series yeah ends. i did read somewhere that like Mari might be in the comic as like a background character that you like is a blink and you'll miss it. Hmm. That's a tangent though. I, I, I agree with your assessment about the ending and it is sort of like my, 
my implicit issue with like most of Miyazaki's movies as well is like, oh, go outside, get in touch with nature. And it makes me say like, we're, we're fucking killing nature. You and your friends are more than me, yeah. frankly, old man. <laughs> and um, also you taught me that with your own fucking movies. Yeah. You son of a bitch. Don't tell me this. <laughs> I mean, here's. Here's the other thing in a broader sense and less like in a specific critique of contemporary culture or contemporary Japanese culture. Like, because this is such a common trope in anime of like, let's go back to zero and start over again and eliminate or at least, you know, be able to see for what it is, like the kind of toxic cycles that our characters have been involved in. There is something about that that at this point is such a trope in anime that it feels a little counterintuitive for Evangelion to embrace it because there is something inherently regressive about that kind of story. And I think that Evangelion has been, at its core, against regression <laughs> um, and right. a really harsh critique of regression at times. And so showing it as a victory for us to go back to the way things were i don't i don't know i don't know about like in a way like the ending of the series feels more interesting to me because it is out of time and place it does we're not we're not necessarily led to believe that one reality is better than another like all like we are just sort of following one person's ability to grow. And then everybody says, congratulations, and we're done. Uh, <laughs> but I, that, that to me feels, it's more about growth specifically, even though it's sort of not placed in a time or place context um, mm -hmm. or in a specific setting. So I don't know. I mean... Specifying it like that, I think maybe, yeah, I think there are problems there, but I don't know. <laughs> right. The, the ending of the original show allows you to come to your own conclusion about yes. what you need yes. to grow to, whereas this, because it's overly literal in its representation of that, precludes a lot of growth, actually, because it limits you to a very particular idea of yeah. what it means to, like, grow up yeah and i would say that in this movie alone we are given many examples of how characters might grow up and for the better like really mm -hmm. kind of uh, like aspirational ideas of like what what would be really satisfying for this character to you know do with their lives including misato like misato there's something really noble about what she does even though it's nuts like and and it is we are it is read as like a maturing like she's a different she's not the drunk that we knew before and she's doing you know, she's doing a reckless misato thing but like with her full conscious and mm -hmm. yeah so it's i i, I th there has been yeah the, the whole film is has shown us that people can change and that you can advance um <laughs> mm -hmm. and then i don't know i don't know man i don't uh, shinji 
poor Shinji. He's just going to throw himself in front of a train eventually. Like, I don't know, man. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's like Shinji gets to be a person that I actually don't like in real life now, you know, like he gets, <laughs> maybe, maybe the Shinji haters were right all along. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like that's all, that's about the highest he can aspire to. But um, yeah, at least he has a pretty girl with big boobs to keep him company. <laughs> Who won't stop talking about. I mean, them. it's good to be confident if you've got it, flaunt it. Um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I I guess my interpretation of that is the idea of him being like a normal person, like a salary sure. man that might fling himself in front of a train is is dismal, <laughs> sure, but maybe it's a step up from like young man, young boy become his... a legend. <laughs> like well, uh, not necessarily that, but like if he's going to repeat his father's sh- shoes, his his father is in a very grand arch sci-fi way, a fucking family annihilator. Mm-hmm. S- someone who like grew up and married before they shot up their school with a fucking machine gun. Yeah. Right. And I guess if the choice is between incel, incel dude becoming a genocidal maniac and just becoming like a normal person with kind of a sad job i do think the latter is better yeah i mean i can see that reading for sure that like because so much of the series has been a critique of young boy become a legend (laughs) like uh that to be to have satisfaction and mean find satisfaction and meaning in being a part of society that doesn't need to seek glory or to be the main character that there's some kind of freedom in that i can see that for sure i mean we don't Mm. know enough about his life at that point we see like five seconds of it so uh you know that could very well be uh, and that could be how it's read by a japanese audience and for us that looks more like some sort of concession and maybe yeah, I don't know. I'd be interested to see some of the Japanese reception around that, <laughs> like a non-otaku Japanese reception around. Mm-hmm. That. <laughs> um, that does get to one of the one of the things I wanted to sneak in before we do truly wrap this up, because I do think we're getting close to the end here, um, which is that I, I do actually, if any of our listeners are listening, I do want to hear what they thought about this movie. I'd love to maybe do another miniature mailbag episode where we just get people's first reactions to this film. Um, so any kind of reaction that people have, I, I'd love to hear it. I just want to like put that there. The inbox is open. Please let us know what you think of this film. Um, is there anything else that we want to hit before we start closing the door on this podcast? <laughs> oh, wait, the one thing I put in the notes, this is silly. We don't have to talk about it, <laughs> but I think that Mari has the line that, um, that hair embodies the chaos of the human mind. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of interesting hair in this movie. So maybe, I don't know, like, the mo- like again, Misato revealing her hair is a moment. Uh, mm-hmm. Ray having post-quarantine hair is a moment. <laughs> um, I, I felt that real bad. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I just thought that was like a funny thing to say. And it's definitely going to be one of those lines that I keep in the back pocket. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have anything to plug? Because I know you're always working on, I know you're always working on something. Um, well, I am always working on something and I, and it's been a frustration lately that I have very little to plug. Um, every, anytime I, I go on a podcast, but, um, well, just because I know it is actually shooting now and because you mentioned that your cat's name is Shogun. Um, I was a writer on the upcoming Shogun series on FX. What? Which, what? <laughs> which what? is going to be out, who knows, probably next year. But now that they're actually filming, I feel like I can say that that's a real thing that's coming out. So um look forward to that man uh it's my first yes. staff job so yeah um, well congratulations i am uh, so happy <laughs> thanks um i learned so much about medieval japanese history more than i ever learned before so hopefully it went to good use uh, um, it's probably not visible on on your screen but there is actually a copy of shogun on that bookcase behind me so oh that's, man you should see wild. mine. It's like double the thickness just because of note card stuff. Into <laughs> it, so yeah. Oh my um, god. Yeah, it'll be. I'm I'm excited to see how it looks. I mean, this is <laughs> the first thing that I've written on. So yeah, super excited. <laughs> That's about it, though. I don't know. I have a. I have. I. I don't even have a Twitter anymore, so you can't even find me there. So. Um, Smart move. But Smart move. yeah, I. I need to get those. It's cool, to like anime episodes back up they were hosted on soundcloud that i uh, soundcloud that i stopped paying for so that's why they're not on anymore but i don't know if somebody wants to offer to produce more it's cool like <laughs> anime i'll bring it back man uh a quick piece of housekeeping not to discount that although i'm i'm sad that they're isn't like a link for it's cool to like anime for me to like put in the show notes then? it's on it's on itunes like, but i think that's only two episodes that are up there because that's all that could be hosted for free so i think the first two episodes are there or maybe the last episode i can't remember um so so either rightfully talking shit about ScarJo or the beginning of madoka Magic? Uh, i think the beginning of yuri on ice I think is the first thing we right. were talking. Or is that right? I can't. We we talked about the Mumblecore Ghibli movies, and then we talked. I think I I think that was the middle thing that we did, and then and then we started to get into Madoka Magica, but didn't finish it. So, well, if you haven't seen Madoka Magica, listeners, this is the second time we've said it. Please oh my do god! Check that Read shit. if so you good. like. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's great. Um, quick piece of housekeeping. I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who checked out the Shin Godzilla episode. We got a lot of new listeners on that episode. So thank you for giving us a chance. Um, I hope you go back and enjoy the rest. And if you don't, that's okay. I'm not judging you verbally in public. Um, and, uh, you know, at the beginning of this morning, I was sort of like terrified, but also excited that I'm like, oh, this is the end of Evangelion. I don't need to talk about Evangelion anymore. And then in the middle of recording this with you, Emily, I realized that we're wrong uh, because we do have at least one more episode coming up. It's probably going to be out before the Satoshi Khan episodes come out. We're going to be collaborating with the Requiem Metalcom uh, podcast and doing an episode on 
the band Discordance Axis and their Evangelion themed bullet hell grind album, The Inalienable Dreamless. So look out for that. Um, it will be unlistenable horror. <laughs> And yes, as Joseph said, in case you are a new listener and you don't know our plans for season two, it is all cone all the time coming yes. up. Yes. Um, very exciting. That rules. Yeah. Excited. Super excited. It. Just rewatched Perfect Blue. Uh, it's hard to go from this to something so tight and so crisp and yeah. so well planned out. Yeah. We'll get into Are you going to do Paranoia Agent? Mm hmm. Yeah. Got him. Yeah. That's, That's one of the other. Hall of Famers for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Likewise here. Um, well, this is going in, in my podcast Hall of Fame as well. I can't. It's just like Girls and Hoodies was like the first podcast I ever downloaded. So this is like <laughs> wild for me. Oh I just gosh. want to say like, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Emily. This has been awesome. This has been really fun. I I so seldom get to, to talk about this stuff. So it was, yeah, it was a blast. Um, and now I'm going to probably start watching Ava again from the beginning. So <laughs> the end it's, is the beginning is the end. It yep. all loops around. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for your time. Thank you. Um, you know, when, when we started this, we weren't even going to do guests. But when we first floated the idea, you were the first name Ian and I both Oh, said. man. Well, I'm so. glad I could make it for the very end then. I, I, yeah, it's an honor. Yeah. The poetic justice is real, <laughs> but it's all downhill from here. <laughs> all right. Well, see ya. Bye. Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you liked the episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. If you want to share your thoughts on the show or about anything really, email us at humaninstrumentalitypodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at anotheravapod and on Instagram at humaninstrumentalitypod. Extra special thanks to Kira Anderson for the graphics and web design. 